give me a mic check. One, two, three, four. Mic check. One, Looks two, good. Looks good. three, four. Third Degree, the podcast is brought to you by Soccer 90. Shop Soccer90.com for all your FC Dallas, U.S. soccer, and, of course, international club gear. New in the store, Adidas shin guards in both youth and adult sizes. And don't forget that Third Degree listeners get 25% off when they use the promo code ThirdDegree at checkout. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fans. Welcome to another edition of Third Degree, the podcast. Hi, I'm Peter, and joining me today, because one person has decided he's got better things to do than join us on the podcast, it's just me again with Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz. Hello, Peter. Now, admittedly, Dan is in the middle of repairing his flooded apartment and moving out of it at the same time. So he's a little overloaded, but Oh, I thought he was traveling today. I thought no, I saw no. somewhere in the chat group he was in a car <laughs> headed to some sort of like snowy vacation or something. Well, I think that's just a weekender thing, but that's not till later today. It's like oh. just in general this week. He's like, you know, he, he and the busted pipe thing or whatever, his apartment got demolished. So he had oh, to pack it up and this. move out of it. And now he's moving to a new apartment and repairing his old apartment at the same time. So the poor kids underneath a little pile of stuff. Yeah, poor Dan. However, Peter, before we start, I have a breaking piece of news. That is this you, an official think, Huntsman dump? Uh, it is a Huntsman dump indeed. It is not going to be earth-shaking from anybody but perhaps you and I. Oh, okay. But it is an earth-shaking dump, and that is there is going to be a limited amount of media allowed back at FC Dallas training. <gasps> I know. Really? So excited. Yeah, they've got yeah. some new media policies, and there's... It's probably a very short list. Dan and I are on it, I know. So we will be attending some practices soon and have actual eyeballs on FC Dallas players and tell you how they're doing. I'm so excited. As early as this week, potentially? Uh, Yes, I think as early as this week. As early as... This coming week. Monday, this coming week. Yeah. Yeah. We're recording this on Friday the 2nd. Yep. Um, So that's awesome. That's great news. That's a huge, huge huge, uh, advancement in this because this has been so difficult for you and Dan to try to do this for the, you know, for the good uh, listeners and followers of the account uh, when you can't actually put eyes, as you say, on players, especially these new players, right? Yeah. Well, you know, there's a whole lot of distancing involved and you can only stay in certain places, which I totally understand. You know, but I got a pair of binoculars. It's going to be fine. I'll be out there. <laughs> you know, it's frustrating because uh, officially the media is not allowed to go. And you and Dan in particular are really honest about this because it's very clear that if you wanted to, you could have gone out to the facility and stood at a distance and they probably never would have, could have never even noticed you there because I can't tell you how many people I've talked to that have been out up at Frisco with their kids' games during Dallas Cup or other things and said, oh, yeah, I stood there and watched uh, Dallas practice. I saw so-and-so do this, and I saw Paxton running like that. And and uh, I'm like, wow, it's really silly they're not letting the media do yeah. this too. But So it's good. That's a good shift. I'm glad yeah. to hear that news. I know well, you're excited about that. Oh, yeah. I mean, they took it seriously, so we took it seriously. I mean, there was even a time where they thought they heard secondhand that one of our people was in the parking lot. 
and that we were trying to circumvent and we got a phone call about it. So, I mean, it's like, you know, God. I'm sure there's some legal insurance reasons or whatever. I mean, I don't know, you know, so we're not going to go to war over something stupid like that. We just bided our time and eventually they figured out a policy that they're making this small change and there's a certain amount of media that'll be allowed to go. So I'm super excited about getting out there and being able to watch practice again. That's all that really matters. I can now go again. That's good. Yeah, that is fantastic news. And we will talk about, uh, and part of the reason why the podcast has been delayed is not only because of our schedules, you've been doing Dallas Cup stuff and Dan doing stuff and I got stuff going on. We also kind of wanted to uh, save up content because Dallas has now played a couple of scrimmages or cup games, whatever we want to call them. So we'll talk about those in a little bit. But we also should start the podcast officially uh, with the news. I think this is somewhere close to completely out of the blue, which is that FC Dallas have sold Tiago Santos to Gremio back in the Brazilian uh, first division. And I, while I'm not terribly fussed by this in any way, shape, or form, on a scale of, uh, if I had had to put a list of people together a week ago of who I thought Dallas could sell, Santos would not have been in the top five. Yeah, this is as out of the blue as any transfer I have can think of. You know, there's been cases where guys were kind of thinking about leaving. You know, we hear stuff. We hear like, boy, he's not happy. He's kind of mopey. I, I didn't get any of that with Thiago Santos. So I have no idea if that's a factor. You know, so it, it was complete surprise when it happened. When you sit down and think about it, you can make reasons in your head while Okay, I, I could I could see why they did that. You know, the the guy's thirty one, right? That they if the numbers that are being reported are accurate, and let's just assume that they're ballpark for sure, then you're making basically almost double your money, depending on whether he went for a million or a million five that's being reported around there. You know, it's it the part where it's to Gremio makes all the sense in the world because it's Andres Zanata's old club, right? So there's a pre existing relationship, and then you think back to last last season. And there were times where, um, as good as Thiago Santos was, where he won the league in duels and all that kind of stuff, there were still moments where he burnt out or got overworked or overloaded or something and had some bad stretches. So there, there were definitely some workload management issues with him. And Dallas has got an overloaded midfield of young kids that they want to start playing too. So there's lots of factors that make this all kind of make sense when you put it all together. But nonetheless, I, like you, a week ago, there's no way in the world I would have predicted that Thiago Santos was about to get traded. I mean, this really is out of nowhere. Okay, so but here's the question I want somebody to answer for me, which is because everybody's glomming onto the fact that they sold him for a million dollars, and I'm still not 100% sure I know what Dallas paid to acquire him in the first place. I, you know, I know that I, I know that uh, transfer market and different websites have different amounts available. Dallas clearly paid something for him, so it's not like they just got a hard cold million back. Uh, and pure profit no. but even if but even if they did let's just say they got a million dollars back in pure profit from the guy does this move make fc dallas better on the field for the 2021 season no it doesn't uh, you know there's a lot of things that keep me thinking that dallas uh, is bleeding money because th this is the kind of deal you do because you made back 500,000 or or 700,000 or whatever you made back because you needed the money for something Right. This is like if, if you only are thinking about on the field, you know, unless you unless there's a, unless you believe that like the two or three years you have left on the contract with him were a problem and you needed to get rid of him because of that. I, I don't think I would have gone that far. You know, I think, you know, a couple more years of him would have been fine if, as long as you manage the workload. So 
there's got to be some extenuating fa- factor. Like he asked to go. That's entirely possible. He's never played outside of Brazil before this year. Do we know if his family or anybody has been here this entire time or with COVID he's been separated from family this whole year? I do, do not know, know officially, but I, it would not surprise me at all that they couldn't come. You know, yeah. there's been, there's been people that have had like when Franco Harfers come, he had problems getting his kids here. They got here eventually, but like, I know mm-hmm. there was some delays in that process, you know, uh, some of that could be school related on his side. I don't know, but you know, Unless he wanted to go, this is a move that smacks of long-term thinking, right? I'm going to play some kids this year. Maybe I'm kind of in a little bit of a rebuild mode with my front line anyway. Tiago Santos is not getting any younger. I really, really, really need some money at the start of the year because even if they release things that open up at the later of the year, I'm going to take a bloodbath in the stands at the start of the year. The Reynolds money is not coming in for a while yet, as near as we can tell. So, you know, <laughs> despite the fact that was the big hang up, apparently it's like the whole loan thing is certain, you know, there are some back channels with the, with the Toyota that can, they, we can work through, but you know, the bottom line is that they're obviously willing to go with some other version of FC Dallas that are going to be interesting to see what Lucci does with his options. Cause there are a few. Yeah. I, again, I know a million dollars is a lot of money, and two, they didn't make a million dollars off this deal. No, I'm not even. I'm not. You know, depending on who you listen to, they may have made. They may have profited as little as a hundred thousand dollars. But even if it was a full a million dollars, that's not a break or uh, a make or break amount of money for the for the Hunt family. Like, yeah, FC Dallas isn't going out of business if they don't sell Tiago Santos. Their bottom line may not look as good. But again, it does. I do. I just got a question of why this was done at this moment. Did he want out? Was he not happy here? Was he homesick? Did he not feel like it was what he thought he had bought into? Did Dallas decide maybe he's a little older and we don't really need him? Um, Because, I, you know, we'll talk about this when we talk about the uh, first San, San Antonio game. When I was watching that. I am. I distinctly remember watching Santos on the field, going, "A, that guy has gotten slower," or "B, he's just not trying very hard." Because there were several moments where I watched San Antonio guys just dribble right past him, and he made no effort to chase anybody down, and I that really stood out to me. Yeah. So I, I you know, I got a ton of questions about this. Again, I don't think it's that big of a deal, and at the end of the day, I'm excited that it opens opportunities for Tessman and Surio and and maybe some other players down the road, and kind of unclogs that central midfield but there's got to be another part of this story we haven't been told well the one possible other part of the story is that you know zanata the other day hinted at a winger coming in um sometime in the next whatever's soon quote unquote so they need an international spot unless for some reason we're talking about domestic player which is highly unlikely you know they need another international spot and maybe they looked at the international roster and said who can we get rid of for a little bit of money that won't kill us on the field sure. to get rid of yeah, you know. who, who who could we get rid of? How could we get a slot? Who maybe really is, in, you know, maybe it's all a bunch of puzzle pieces that just fell together. Yeah. There's a club looking for a player. Here's a player that maybe isn't 100% happy here. A player that we also aren't 100% sure really is helping us on the field. And, hey, we could also make a few bucks off the deal. It, it could be as simple as that, right? Yeah, and maybe Gremio calls, calls Andres Zanata and says, hey, any chance we could have Tiago Santos? And he thinks... Why, yes, you can yeah. have Tiago Santos. Here you go. You know, I, I don't I'm, need him anymore. I'm surprised Gremio was willing to pay that much money for the guy, especially willing to pay more than whatever was Dallas paid for him a year ago when he's a year older. Like that part, that, out of all of this, really, the most surprising part of it is that element. 
Well, he's obviously pretty well respected, you know, and in, in, in terms of like bringing a never say die attitude and some grit or whatever. So, I mean, obviously they really felt they needed that because this is a late signing too. I mean, the windows are dwindling, right? So mm-hmm. um, they must have at the last second been panicking and they may have perhaps overpaid. Uh, and, and if you want to be honest about it, you know, for a 31 year old out of desperation for whatever reason. So, um, there's a whole lot of pieces in this puzzle, as you say, and, and this is one that's kind of fascinating to try and sit back and try and figure out what the heck's going on until we can pin somebody down on it. Yeah. And again, I'll just reiterate my initial question is, does that make this team better? Which will lead me to this, to you, Buzz, which is, mm-hmm. so how does this, uh, rejigger, uh, the center midfield set up for Lucci? Well, the obvious straight swap is that Edwin uh, Cirillo is ready to play and you just stick him right in. Now, by all reports, he's had a fantastic spring. Uh, you know, Lucci committed him just a day ago or was it two days ago on the media call, talked about what a great spring Edwin's having and how progression of kids is not linear, that they have their ups and downs and he's having a great, you know, whatever you want to call this spring training, this preseason, it's been longer than they expected, but um, that's certainly part of it. The other option is that you know, and I know, uh, as much as we don't like it, Lucci has liked Acosta as a six before. You know, back when they had this idea of this triple pivot idea, which is basically where you play three eights and they all just take turns swapping all the time, even if one of them is sort of a nominal six. So you could easily see some sort of Acosta, Testament, Ricarte, triple eight thing happening. That's a completely viable system in Lucci ball. So straight swap for Edwin or a triple eight sort of system are the two most viable looks, you know, and we wondered how Tanner was going to get playing time when he seems to be outplaying Acosta in a lot of ways last year when Acosta was banged up. Well, well, there's a way, right? I mean, that's Mm -hmm. a pretty simple swap. Hmm. Well, it, it does. It's now official. Uh, we kind of heard about it on the periphery for, you know, 24 hours or so, but the club did make it official yesterday. I think it was. Yeah. Yesterday uh, made, made the note. It was interesting that he did play in the San Antonio scrimmage just less than a week ago. He started in fact, um, despite some reports otherwise that were damningly incorrect. Um, so, uh, it, it is interesting that he in fact, uh, played and now is gone just a few days later, but, uh, we move forward. So do, how do you want to do this? Do you want to talk about the scrimmage, the same yeah. scrimmage back on Saturday before we talk about today's scrimmage? Just a little bit because we actually got to saw it and there was an interesting formation and, and we got to, you know, read a couple of things about it. You know, I did my instant reaction. So I, I have some thoughts about it, but where do you want to start with that game? Yeah, I uh, again, it was, uh, you know, they're playing down in San Antonio. I, I didn't think the team looked particularly good. It, it was really slow and, uh, and you know, but it's early. In, it's, it's one of those deals where you watch it and you go, oh my gosh, this is not attractive and a little bit concerning. And then you're like, well, wait, it's early in the preseason. Don't get too, too screwed up about it. Yeah, the, the, there were several pieces in that game that were fascinating. Um, they, they were indeed flat. That's fine. You know, you took a, they probably took a bus down there, I would imagine, and that's never great. They're still trying to work everybody up towards fitness. And by all reports, today's was much better. So um, one of the most interesting things about the game in San Antonio was the 3-4-3 formation, which is basically a variation of a 3-5-2, which uses the same sort of three-man front line that Dallas is used to with just the three-man back line. So it's kind of interesting. Um, you know, Ryan was on the right again for the third straight game. Majoma was at the left wing back because Eddie Nelson's Johnny Nelson's not really a wing back. Um, you know, and, and Jose Martinez looked great. He was right as he was, right as good as he was. And then, so of the three center backs, how was it lined up? 
Uh, Martinez was on the left center back and, um, uh, gosh, no, I should have opened up the graphic. Uh, Matt Hedges was in the middle and Rasan was at right center back. Mm, okay. Um, you know, I, that's probably not a system that they're going to use all the time, but it's something Lucci likes to mix in. And it is interesting because it is a better, it is a really good fit for Minjoma who was on the left that time. And Lucci talked about how he does both sides equally as well. They, I think there's a weird issue in terms of like you're flip-flopping Ryan in order to put him on the right and then you're putting Majoma off of his left onto his left. So you're kind of flipping both, even though Ryan's actually right-footed. You know, we, we've talked many times about how he's better on the left. But um, Lucci doubled down uh, in the media call, which was two days ago, that he's not really experimenting in the back anymore. He knows what he has. So Ryan at the right seems to be the thing because Ryan was, mm-hmm. and again, the scrimmage that was today, Ryan was at the right again. So we're for sure looking at Ryan on the right. The left side becomes the question, which we'll get to in a minute for the rest of it. And on that game in particular, the, th- the three things I really, the three takeaways from the front line were that Hodir O'Brien is Fabian Castillo 2.0 <laughs> in every way possible. It's He's older, but it's the same like vertical mess into the box and then kind of bounces around and all that kind of stuff. Freddie Vargas is the best thing going, I think, in terms of his ability to play anywhere across the front and be dangerous. He moves around a lot and drifts and comes inside, a very false wing. And then for me, Frank O'Hara was just worthless for the whatever, how long he played. And Pepe came in, and in five minutes, Pepe did more than Hara did the whole game. So I think it sets up that you're down to basically that two big, huge questions, which is who's going to be the outside backs if Ryan really is on the right, who's on the left, and then is someone going to beat out Frank O'Hara? Because for to me, he looks terrible. So uh, Cerillo came in late in that game and did replace Santos. Did you take any note of him in that particular performance? Not particular, other than it looked like he looks for North Texas, which is kind of what it was. It was a bunch of, you know, a couple of academy kids played and one or two guys from North Texas played. So, you know, he was he's what he was as he was at the end of last season for North Texas, which was sort of a dominant midfield presence and clogging it all up, you know, and, and doing good tackling and stuff. But nothing that made me go, oh, yeah, start him over. Santos at the same time, you know, you and I watched that game and both thought Santos was a little flat. And for all we know, that was the final point where they're like, you know what? We can trade this guy. It's not going to cost us anything if we put Surreal in there. So, uh, you know, such as the preseason, little things like that, like that they often do things that are tests where you see one guy in a different place. It's a test or one guy. This is the last game. We're going to look at you. And if you're not, they don't tell you that necessarily, but like, man, if you don't, Bring it. Maybe we will trade you, you know, that kind of thing. Well, I doubt we'll ever get the full story behind the Santos cell, but I'm can I'm just convinced there's more to it than we've been told so far. I would agree with that, too. There must be something else going on. But and maybe we'll maybe someday we can find out. But. Well, and I, and just to be clear, I don't necessarily say that in the in the sense that I'm assuming it's nefarious or somebody did something bad or anything like that. I just it just the the timing and everything of it just feels so odd and so weird uh, that it just makes you wonder what else is going on. Because at the end of the day, if the if the question is does it make the team better, and the answer is well, it did because they opened up an international slot and they bought this guy instead who ends up creating, making the team better, then the answer is yes. But if it's just getting rid of Santos and letting, yeah. you know, Tessman have more time or Cerillo have more time, then I, you know, I'm not sure the answer to that question is, is not no. I mean, you basically started the guy who played every single game for you last year. You, you traded him, sold him away two weeks before the season starting. That timing alone is suspect. 
Yeah. It makes you raise your eyebrows that something is going on that we're, that we don't are not privy to. So there are all kinds of questions. Not that I'm down on the move. I actually think it's fine. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm okay with it. So, um, you know, but nonetheless, there are questions. Yeah, it's it. You can both things can be true. Yeah. We can think that the deal ultimately is a good idea, and also wonder why in the hell it happened. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right. So uh, again, one of the great mysteries of the world is is that this club is uh, participating in preseason games, yet nobody gets to watch them uh, as they played San Antonio again today, and it was here, correct, up in Frisco. Yes. Yeah. It's what it's so, Yeah. In the stadium, which has a full capability of streaming this game on the internet for little to no effort, <laughs> did not do that today, but uh, you did get some information as to how it went down. Yeah, some people were able to watch. You know, I have no idea what Explain you Explain this to me. Yeah, well, you know, they're not official media, so that's fine. You know, so some people I know got in, and I've got a couple of people, people reaching out. So here's, here's, here's the lineup. Uh, again, Ryan at right back. So that's four straight games. So that's obviously the thing, right? Okay. So Hedges, Martinez, and on the left, Johnny Nelson. So, so far, Johnny Nelson so is getting the look. A four-man back line. Four-man back line. Okay. So far, Johnny Nelson is getting the look. And as we've often talked about, Lucci, con- defensively, more conservative. Not a shock that it's Nelson and Ryan looking like two weeks from opening day, right? So not a shock at all. Starting at the six, Edwin Surreal. Hoo-yah. Edwin got the straight swap nod in for Chaga Santos. Now, maybe. And by the way, wearing the number six. Yeah, number six. I mean, for them to. Yeah, Lucci even talked on the call about how he had some really great meetings with Edwin over the summer, over the winter. And that includes, in my mind, giving him the six, making a big deal about it. And even like, there is a a tack that says if you only found out you're trading away your six like a day before the scrimmage. You're not going to mess it all up. You just put in the other guy. So we shouldn't 100% read this as Evans going to start opening day. But nonetheless, he did start today. The other two people in midfield were Ricarte, which is what you would accept, and Nicky Hernandez. Now, don't get too excited about that because Tanner and Brian Acosta both just are coming back from international duty and are not mm-hmm. integrated back in yet. So essentially you're out of shockingly because Thomas Robertson's hurt. You're out of eights other than Nikki. So that's why the set when Nikki are in there. Hey buzz. Yeah. Who's Nikki Hernandez. You guys all know Nikki Hernandez. Okay. Nikki Hernandez is the first round draft pick that, um, they, that Dallas, <laughs> I thought everybody would know they dra- He played for North Texas soccer club and was under contract with them. Dallas drafted their own player. And then they just signed him yes. to a first team contract Apparently today he wore 88 instead of 80. He's going to wear 80. I just I, 88s would have been better, kid. Stick with the 88, but he's wearing 80. Um, and then the front line was uh, Hardier Obreon, no surprise. Frank O'Hara, no surprise. And Freddie Vargas continues to be the guy at left wing. And for me, probably the re- revelation of spring training is Freddie Vargas. So hmm. that's your lineup for today. All right. So uh, by by any account, did you get positive, negative, indifferent? Yes reports on the game i know they won five yeah. nothing which yeah. seems pretty impressive well obreon scored twice and and also helped facilitate the own goal oh he um, used the dark side yeah so apparently uh, two people that i talked to said that he was super active and engaged and looking better more integrated so step forward the dark jader looking better that's good frank o'hara was apparently whatever again i you know and vargas impressed moving around and doing some wing swapping 
Um, I got a report that said Evan looked great, that he's really good at, this is what he was really good at in the academy too, really good at picking up the ball, cleaning it up, finding it, and quickly getting it forward or to the side to the right people. That's the way he played in the, on the academy. Get it, move it quick. So that's really great to hear. Um, possession in general, I heard, was much better. The old possession with purpose, not just passing it around, but actually being moving forward with it. I hear that was much better. Um, and then you'll be super excited because in the 61st minute, the first player in off the bench was Paxton Pomacall. <gasps> yep. Be still my beating Paxton Pomacall heart. Really? Yeah. yeah and he you, came, any word how he did? Uh, not specifically, just I think people were just super excited. He came in in the mid, played in the midfield for Nicky Hernandez, came in in the 61st minute. So, uh, you know, if you're on the Paxton watch, that's super awesome to see him actually get game time. Um, I had learned that he was in San Antonio and legitimately available and they just chose not to. Mm-hmm. So super great to see him actually get out there. I mean, I, again, I'm tapping the brakes on him being anywhere near opening day. If this is your first minute, it's no way opening day. And it's going to be a while, I think, before he's allowed to really hit somebody because you and I, we've talked to people that have said he barely is allowed to do much in training even still. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, again, talking to some people who happen to be standing near the practice field while they've been out for Dallas cup or other, whatever, whatever they were up at Toyota uh, uh, soccer facility for, uh, you know, they've been watching some of the practices and I, you know, I've gotten some, I don't know if this is the right word, uh, concerning reports about Paxton, just clearly not being up to speed with everybody else, but that's not necessarily a surprise based on what we know no. and the fact that he had a setback and all of those things. So uh, the on, fact that he actually got into the game today, I, I, frankly, is a bit of a surprise. I'm glad to hear that he got some time today. Yeah, and on the media call this week, Lucci said that um, his setback was unrelated to the hip. So what I'm sure in a way it is related. He wasn't specific. So oh, it's good that it's not the exact same area that was the surgery. So that's mm. positive as well. Yeah. Um, so also late in the game, um, Ryan switched to left back at one late in the game and, and uh, Minjama came in at right back. So obviously it seems clear to me that it's Ryan right, Nelson left at this point with Minjama being a, a legitimate bench supporting tool, you know, unless you're going wing back style, in which case in Lucci's mind, Johnny's a left center back and then Edwin is a wing back and you can play either side or whatever. Um, Khalil O'Brien, uh, sorry, Khalil El Medcourt came in for O'Brien at one point. Brisson came in for Hedges and Pepe spelled Hara again. So those are your basic rotations right now in terms of like first five, six off the bench. Um, they did play like a later scrimmage, you know, that was like half North Texas in Academy versus the people that kind of came in late you know, sort of in a, uh, afterwards put that together so that those guys can get some games and some action. Uh, apparently Dante Sealy scored a good goal on that. Other than that, I don't really have any information in particular, but um, some, I got a couple of reports again that Eddie Munjama was having, was really impactful coming off the bench. And, and, and um, he was one of the first people Lucci mentioned when somebody asked him who was having a great spring. Uh, I don't think Eddie's ready to start still. And I think that's pretty clear when we watch these formations and tactics, but he definitely is in the mix as a piece that Lucci's looking to use at this point. Okay. So it, it, just to kind of set the table, uh, just, you know, we're now a couple of weeks out from the start of the season. You are feeling like the following is the starting 11 at this moment for the team. It's uh, Nelson on the left, Ryan on the right in the back with Martinez and Hedges in the middle. And then your center middle three are going to be Acosta, Ricarte, and Surio. Well, it'll be Acosta, Ricarte, and and um, somebody. 
Right. Today it was Edwin, but again, this was the first blush. And like well, I who said, who else it, would it be? Do you Tanner. Think? Tanner. It'll either be with Edwin as a straight six, or it'll mm-hmm. be that triple pivot eight okay. look with Ricarte. Uh, and look, it was a, there's two weeks of opening day. Acosta and Tanner just got back, and Santos just got traded. So we have a very short window to figure out what it's going to be. And that game on Wednesday, um, which I'm pretty sure media are going to allowed to be go, going to now. I know there's some limited tickets available, so for people that are season ticket holders, I think I think that's the way it is. You have to have a season ticket holder. The Austin but game. The Austin game on Wednesday. Isn't it Wednesday afternoon, isn't it? Uh, at four, I think, and then they have a. Then they go down to Houston for their final tune-up. So, like those two games, basically, you're going to see whatever they do. I, I'm sure at this point that'll be pretty indicative of what's going to happen on opening day. Mm-hmm. So, and then the front is not to steal your thunder, but the front is Vargas, Hara, and uh, O'Brien at this point. All right, very good. Uh, that makes sense to me in this moment. Now, what I want to lead into now, because uh, just to, and maybe to kind of close this, they do play Austin in Frisco, like we were saying on Wednesday at four and. There are limited tickets, you said? I think you have to be a season ticket holder. to, And then you, if you are a season ticket holder, then you can buy a ticket to this game. You know, And is it being, is it being shown online? Uh, I think this one's being streamed. I streamed. think this is the one that's okay. being streamed. I'm not be, 100% sure because I didn't look it up. That would be delightfully pleasant of them to do that. Yeah, since I'm planning on going. But if I can go, I can, I'll be there. Yeah. Um, now, the other thing I wanted to talk about real quickly uh, since the last time we did a podcast is it was funny. I was uh, going back and reviewing um, uh, some a conversation you and I had on the radio show on Saturday where I was getting your insights and thoughts about the, the U.S. men's national under-23 team playing against Honduras and us kind of saying, well, you know, is there anything we should really worry about against playing against Honduras? And you and I were – and whoever was on the show with me at the time, we're all like, yeah, well, this shouldn't be a problem. It shouldn't be. It no. shouldn't be. But then again, I, then I realized that if you go back and look at Honduras's record against the United States in qualifying matches, uh, they kind of have this country's number. And sure enough, it did happen again. The U.S. fails to qualify for the Olympics. Yeah. And I, you know, the really noticeable thing out of that game uh, to me that's related to Dallas was what an amazingly positive impact Tanner Testman had in the few minutes he got towards the end of the game when the United States clearly needed to go grab a goal. Yeah, that's the big takeaway for me too. That and and that how much above the game Jesus's talent was. You know, he's the guy that's a senior team player too. And that's basically the giant misfire is that they didn't bring a good enough squad, the bottom line. You know, that's not all on Jason, it's partially on Jason. But um, it was super positive because the reason Tanner was there at, as like the last guy on the roster is to get a taste for a camp, get taste for big competition with the group. If you get him some minutes, awesome. And then the last game, he came in and looked pretty damn good and was pretty impactful. So um, huge win for Tanner Testament and his development. I mean, I would expect him to come into Dallas Dallas camp on a high fly in and be in, and, and make a step forward. You know, I mean, I, this is the kind of thing that can launch pad you to a great season. Do you have any particular reaction or thoughts about the overall, uh, you know, the impact or the meaning or <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> whatever you want to say about the failure to qualify for the Olympics again? Yeah, I, I we don't take it seriously enough. You know, I, I know that there's all these things about you can only get a, certain players, you can't get them released and all that stuff. But the bottom line is that we don't take the Olympics seriously enough. We rolled out a C team. And if you don't bring your best players, you're going to get beat. 
That's the bottom line. You know, so, like Honduras okay, but- wanted it more than our guys wanted it. Like we used to be gritty as hell and, and, and tenacious as hell. And we're not like that anymore. This team just wasn't good enough. Well, that those are okay. Those are two different things uh, that we could talk about. But my, I want to kind of glom onto the first part, which is we didn't bring our best players. So who was available? Do you think that they didn't bring? And and I guess the larger question is: is that a is that a damning uh, criticism on Christ and his roster selection? Well, I think his hands were somewhat tied um, in terms of who he could bring. But, you know, there's there's an entire senior team of players, most of whom were eligible, that was training, relatively speaking, at the same time as this game and playing in a friendly, relatively speaking, at the same time as this game. You know, but 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 it, let me uh, can I play devil's advocate? You can, but you'll be wrong. Go ahead. <laughs> but the guys that were playing on the Olympic team had been training together, not only in an earlier camp, but had been together for quite a period of time that it is arguable that any of those guys that you're thinking of would have never been allowed to have been to have been called away from their team for that amount of time. No, but you know, you can make changes, you know, you can bring people in, you know, sometimes. I mean, it's, you know, look. Yeah, so instead of playing in the friendly, those all of those under 24s even Christian Pulisic, let's say, could have just magically popped into the squad for this one game is what you're saying. I'm not saying all of them. I'm just saying some of them would have had to be there the whole time because you can't make like, I don't think you can make universal changes. I'm not 100% down on the rules of how the concrete qualifying works. You can't just change the whole thing. But you don't need You wouldn't have needed the whole thing. You only would have needed, like if this was our C team, that means that there was, this is 24 guys and it's our C team. So were there 48 guys better than this? Or was it just like 23 guys better than this? Well, you didn't need 23 or 48. You probably only needed like five or six, right? You just have to take it more seriously. Like if when you're talking about a decade of missing, it's not one cycle. It's like a decade of missing now. That means that your organization is screwing it up and your organization is not taking it seriously. That's what it means to me. It's not one guy on one camp. And it doesn't yeah. even matter if it's different versions and different reasons. The bottom line, if you miss for over a decade, then it's not on the individual players. It's like you just did not take it seriously enough and bring out good enough talent. Bring your best or you're going to get beat. That's the bottom line. Yeah, I, I, I do think there is a tremendous number of uh, limitations uh, that kept them from being able to uh, bring in the players that we probably would have liked to have seen. I think there's more to that story than we really understand. But I also want to just point out to everybody is that the the overall value of the players that they did have was really only second to Mexico. And then the distance between them and the next team, which I think is Costa Rica, is like an insane amount of money. Just their, just the player valuations on uh, that you can find easily anywhere on the internet. And I still think that, by and large, the person really mostly to blame for this, as much as I love him as the greatest player in Dallas Burn history, is Jason Christ. Because one, I think he left out some players from the roster that he could have he could have called up that would have given him some t- an attacking talent. And two... I just felt like overall the way that he utilized the players that he did bring was really odd and poor. Um, uh, and, and I just, and in my mind, I think he in particular did a poor job of, of managing uh, this setup. But overall, I agree with you, Buzz. The way the United the Federation treats the U23 team is a bit of a joke because they essentially only do it for this one thing, and I'm not sure how much you think you're going to get out of it if you're not participating in other tournaments like so many other countries do over the course of a year. Yeah, there's definitely some blame on Jason. 
you know, but when you look at this group, like you talk about the talent level, how many of these guys are actually starters in Major League Soccer? It's not very many, right? You know, and we all know that if we get our 100% legit U23 team. I really go back and look at that list, Buzz. Those guys, most of those guys are key players on that team, are regular starters in their MLS. Uh, Dotson's a starter. Jesus is a starter. Um, That's two. Uh, hold on. I'm running through the list. <laughs> Glad's a starter. The other center back, I think, starts pretty regularly for his team. Glad um, lost his job recently. Um, what about the kid that's playing on the that was playing left back? I think he starts pretty regularly for his team. Vimes, Vimes is one of the only ones that does. Right, and then yeah. um, Dodson starts for Minnesota. Um, who's the other kid that I'm thinking of? The one that um, uh, I can't. Remember. I mean, I went back and right. looked, and I think I don't. I, what I'm saying is, is that I think there's a perception that this roster was filled with you know bench guys from MLS, and I don't necessarily think that's true. I am of the belief that that roster should have progressed and beaten Honduras, which, now, by I, the way, it only won one game in the tournament prior to that day. Well, so, I, I agree with you in that assessment that that team should beat Honduras. That's what we said before the game. But that doesn't change the fact that if you bring your best Olympic team, we have a world-class win the Olympics level U23 team if we actually bring them. And we didn't. We didn't, and we didn't even bring the B team. So it's like, it's not surprising that they didn't win to me. I mean, okay. I, you know, to, like you can, you can indict Christ. And I think you can, that he definitely made some mistakes, but the overall failure, when you talk about a decade of failure, that's not Christ. So no, but I do think that the failure to qualify in this particular cycle is different than the failure to qualify in the previous cycles, because I think you would argue that in the previous cycles, you probably did take your, a minus B plus team. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'm gonna have to go look. I don't remember. Well, there was, uh, you know, in four years ago or five, however many years ago, they didn't have as many guys playing over in Europe, right? They didn't have a Christian Pulisic and yeah. a, you know, and a and a Tyler Adams and a Weston McKinney back then. Well, you know, Christ specifically in the press conference afterwards said that you know his roster sections are not 100 percent up to him. You know, he yeah, said he's not the only maybe. one that's picking players here. It's like he's responsible to bear halter. Yeah. So like the team. That team is partially like the eleven starting eleven's not, but the roster can can build is part partially made by Bearhalter and whoever the technical director is these days for is it still Ernie Stewart? So, you know, I don't the the overall failure is on the giant organization, not on I mean, it is a little bit like on you gotta go out and win the game. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but this is a soccer is a sport where the players matter, right? I was using this example the other day. Look at Jurgen Klopp. You know how many players Jurgen Klopp's bought since he went to Liverpool? 24. He's literally rebuilt the whole squad, mm-hmm. right? Because players matter. This is soccer. Players matter more than anything. Coaches oh, hardly coach. Sure. Yeah. Once the game yeah. starts, coaches got nothing to do with it. Yeah. Coaches playing, they can't do squat on the field. This players matter more than any other sport in this one. So, you know, if you don't bring the right players, you're going to be beat. That's the bottom line for me. Well, it did happen again, and we can now wait. At least it only will take three years before we can try again, not four years. Uh, We did get interesting news back here. Meanwhile, back up in Frisco, were you surprised to have seen how nice the new North Texas Away kit turned out to be? Oh, nice. It's delicious. Oh, my gosh. That's that's phenomenal. It's better than any... Well, not any. It's better than all but about three FC Dallas alternate kits that they've ever produced. Uh, (laughs) 
which they can't sell, which is amazing, <laughs> but it's gorgeous. Yeah. And the things that are so good about it is that like they, they have a, the North Texas soccer club so far has a template. Their home Jersey is red, white shorts, red socks. Their away Jersey is white, red shorts, white socks. They have a discernible definable pattern. And this is a variation of that with a tiny little red pinstripe on a white. Now, ordinarily I hate white kits. This thing is fantastic. I just hope they figure out a way to get it where people can buy it. Now, granted, look, it's, it's hard to sell a secondary kit when your home kit probably only sells 10. I mean, that's how many North Texas kits I've seen in my life is 10. You know, right. so it's not likely that they're going to be able to sell it, but um, it is a phenomenal kit. It's better than what FC. Now, up until this new FC Dallas kit is phenomenal too, but it's better than the last seven or eight FC Dallas away kits for sure. Oh, yeah. No, I was really impressed with how it looks, and I agree with you uh, on you know how they've set up the two different away and, and home kits. That is good. Yeah. All right, so you've also been spending a ton of time this week uh, working for and covering Dallas Cup. Any particular notes that you want to bring to the pod about that? Yeah, um, it's shocking that the U17 team, which is one of the most talented teams they've ever had, crashed out again. This is too uh, – that's – Again, the U-17s crashed out of the GA Cup like two years ago, too. So mm-hmm. I wonder about that bracket for some reason. I'm not sure what's going on there. Different players, but they still, like last time in the 17s at the GA Cup, they had Pepe and they had Jonathan Gomez. And, I mean, like, it's so, you know, it's ridiculous. Pep, uh, Nico Carrera was in that team. Chris, not Chris Richards, but um, uh, Che, Justin Che was in that team. I mean, you know, Brian Reynolds was in that team and they lost in the so I'm, I, I haven't so. seen any of those games, but I'm, yeah. obviously you have. From your perspective and your opinion, is this a function yeah. of overconfidence, uh, underestimating the opponent, or maybe maybe they're not as good as we thought they were? No, that team is that team from their end to to the final third is fantastic. That's got they got Diego Hernandez, who's already played for North Texas. They've got uh, Knight Pickering, who's just was in the first team. The problem is, is that when they get into the final third, they're a bit of a mess. Um, the, the two games they didn't do well, their finishing was not good. And that includes Pickering, um, who's usually a goal machine. He was off. I don't, I don't know why there's a lot of crossing happening, which is not necessarily their bag. They're, they're supposed to be Dallas, you know, is when you're dribbling into the box and doing combos and that kind of thing, it just wasn't working in the final third. So I'm not hundred percent sure whether they just were feeling pressure or something, but them crapping out was a surprise. And then the U19s are doing great, which is the team that's been gutted already when all the pros signed out of it, yet they're just steamrolling everything that's left in the Dallas Cup, which is fantastic for them. And um, the other thing is that the the U15 team, which is also ridiculous, um, they have uh, my guy Matthew Corcoran is playing down with them, which is his normal age level. And this is one thing I wanted to throw out to you as an example of how good I think Corcoran is. The U-17 team, where he usually plays, got eliminated. And his team had a plus 24 goal differential in the group stage. Oh, so, yeah. And then they were in the, in the quarterfinal yesterday, they were losing 2-0 in the second half. And then their keeper, who's the 6-5 kid, made a couple of saves and Corcoran scored. And then that opened the floodgates. And so they ended up winning 5-2. So I... But you remember on your radio show, we talked about how boring it is to watch him play. And I thought I would explain that. Like, I, I thought of a good Wait, analogy. Corcoran? Corcoran is boring oh. to watch play. Right. Yeah, super boring. And I thought of a good analogy. And the, the equivalent would be like if somebody that we knew that was into the NFL said, oh, my gosh, Southlake Junior High has a center 
that is amazing. He's going to be in the NFL. And you and I were to go to watch it. We'd watch a dude snap a ball 80 times. And we'd be like, this is boring as hell. It's <laughs> That's the equivalent. He's a holding yeah. midfielder. He stands in the middle of the field. It barely looks like he's running at all, except that he's always got the ball. And every time it, somebody fumbles it more than a foot away from him, there he is taking it away from them and passing it and moving it on. It's just the kid is phenomenal. And yet you can't tell. Like watching him play is horrible. It's like no fun at all. Unless you're like really into the minutiae of what he's doing, then you can see it. And I don't mean that to be egotistical. I mean that most people will watch it and go, I wasted my time coming here. This is dumb. You know, his whole team is really good, of course, but watching him is boring. Yeah, <laughs> so, you know, it's it's I I have not seen him yet in this particular tournament, but I do have an observation that I'm going to talk about more on the show tomorrow because I don't know if this is I, I don't know if what I'm about to say is uh, really odd or unique or uh, or just obvious. Maybe it's just obvious. Maybe everybody else has this same kind of observation as well. But I went out to Richland and watched some uh, different boys games. And I haven't, you know, it's been obviously two years since I've seen a Dallas Cup game. But every time I go, I'm always like, good Lord, this is all systems go, 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 go. Like boys soccer even up to like the super group is pretty much one speed full throttle and it's less skill and way more athleticism, right? It's all about who can get there fastest. It's a lot of just super athleticism and not a ton of one-on-one -on -one ball skill work. You just don't see a ton of it in the Dallas cup on the boys side. But then yesterday uh, on ESPN three, they were broadcasting the three or four girls finals and I found myself vastly far more in entertained in watching the girls' games than I was the boys' games because while the girls' games are clearly slower and there's not a lot, uh, there's not anywhere near as much defensive one-on-one -on -one pressure going on. The tactical play, the patience, and the ball skill of the girls is unbelievably impressive I, I found that way more entertaining to watch than the boys game and i don't know again if i'm unique in this buzz i don't know if you have any sort of a familiar or similar opinion or you're going to tell me i'm an idiot no i'm not gonna tell you an idiot i, I know exactly what you mean um i think you would like corcoran uh, corcoran's play then because he definitely slows the game down and and controls it and moves it around uh there's a what you what you would like about him is his sublime touch you know and the, the ball's always where he wants it and the ball's all ready for the next touch the guy i'll give you another name though at the u17 team there's a guy named anthony ramirez who is um has been in the past slightly undersized and slightly frail he was in the past a pure 10 you know we know now that dallas doesn't use one of those so most of he's playing as a false wing style i think you would like him he's got a ton of ball skill too now you're right that there are there is a lot of go and a lot of physicality in the boys' game. Even the Dallas teams, which are phenomenal on the ball, have right. phenomenal touch. They still have a whole lot of verticality and go to them. But those those guys in those contexts, probably Diego Hernandez too, also with the 17s. I think you'd like those three guys in that context that you're talking about because it's not just a track meet with those guys that are willing to move it around. And the the guys that do that, I think, are what separate is one of the things that separates guys to the elite level that you want to talk about making it to the next bit is because it's not just get it and go. There is some thought process. There is some, uh, you know, intellectual pace of play kind of decisions being made. That's one of the things I look for with elite players for sure. Yeah. And I don't, I'm not trying to be critical of the boys game in any way. It is what it is. Uh, it's just kind of a byproduct of, 
<laughs> the high levels of tea they're running around <laughs> on the field with all yeah. those guys and and it is it is how that game works but uh, because I I very rarely get to watch uh you know youth girls soccer anymore uh seeing it on TV yesterday or on the iPad I just was really uh, there was a girl playing for Solar in the U17 game Shaw yes. I think her last name is Yeah Holy crap, she is a flat-out baller. Like, by any definition, I don't care what gender you're talking about, she is a baller of the highest degree. Yeah, Jaden Shaw. uh, One of the FC Dallas guys said that she's the best female player he's ever seen. Uh, She is farting phenomenal, and I'm sure she'll be on the national team, and we'll all enjoy the fact that she's from this area. But I so enjoyed watching those games uh, yesterday. They were really, really good entertaining games. Not all of them ended up uh, being entertaining at the end, but like the um, that particular game, uh, uh, I think Solar was up one nothing, yep. and that that goal the girl hit in injury time to make it two nothing was a phenomenal goal, just yeah. a phenomenal goal. Again, if a boy had hit that, I would be saying the same thing. It was just a really really good goal, and I've I've enjoyed. I'm sorry, I'm prattling on about it, but that's been my big observation of this Dallas Cup, and I'm glad they've added the girls back to the tournament. Oh yeah, and not to be a dead horse, this is exactly what we talk about with the women's national team. These these games that you watch at the Dallas Cup, there's absolutely a ton of talent in these girls' games. Phenomenal skill. It's this insane physicality and speed of the men. That's why the U15 boys team can beat the women's national team. It's That's the difference. That doesn't mean that the women's game is not phenomenal, and that doesn't mean that these girls that were playing it at uh, Toyota Stadium didn't deserve full credit because those games, three of the four were phenomenal watching, and that 17 game in particular – is one of the highest skilled games I've seen in quite a while. Um, there were multiple national team players in that game, not just Jaden Shaw. She is the one, but there's there were multiple other national team. The the numbers she plays number twenty, but the six behind her, this a tall girl for Solar. I also think it's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. So you know, there's there's loads of reasons to go watch the girls, and but there also is with the guys. When you get this Dallas Cup's a little bit lopsided because it doesn't have the international team, so you're getting some trashings on the men's sides too. But when you get two of the really good boys teams going against each other, really skilled ones, like when Solar plays FC Dallas. You know, it's not just there is that pace component physicality, but there's a bags of skill, too. And I recommend it to anybody. The stadium games this weekend, just like the girls were yesterday, the stadium games are going to be phenomenal. If you can go take some time and watch them pretty much every maybe not the U18s. That'll be the weak link because the 18s are combined. You know, everybody plays 18, 19 combined combo. So like pure 18 teams are rare, but across the board, the rest of them probably will be a phenomenal yeah, and I, I'm going to say this other thing about all of this, and, and I don't mean this as a demonstration just to kind of point out how old I am, uh, but it, it is very clear to me that there that by and large, not even by and large, I'm going to say just universally, it's very clear to me there are girls that are 16 years old that are playing the game of soccer at an infinitely higher skill level than boys were when I was 16, 17, 18 years old. Like the level of play with 16-year-old girls in 2021 is so much better than it was on the boys' side back in the 70s and 80s. It's unbelievable how good the game is. Oh, yeah. Any of those girls' teams yesterday would have throttled any team I've been in, played in, you know, my my whole life (laughs) without any question. Yeah, Yeah, skill level's phenomenal. I was standing on the sideline of a Texans. I don't. They were playing some team from uh, Miami wearing Juventus jerseys. I think it was their MLS team. 
uh, that's in the MLS Next group. And there was a girl standing on the sideline kicking a ball with another girl, and she couldn't have been more than 12 years old. And it was during halftime, and I was just watching her play the ball. And she was hitting the ball with the outside of her foot. It was just basic passing back and forth. But her comfort level on the ball at the age of 11 was insane. And she was just some random girl standing on the sideline. And I was really caught off guard at her display of ball comfort. It was really amazing. Uh, So, again, I'm so glad they've added the girls back to this tournament. And next year, when hopefully COVID uh, has diminished enough for international travel and they allow international girls teams to come play in Dallas Cup again, I I just think it's exponentially going to make the tournament that much better. Oh, it's going to be fun for sure, yeah. All right, I'll quit prattling on about that. Anything else you want to add to the podcast today, my dear friend Buzzard? Well, let me let me let me double check my list and make sure that uh, we got everything. Um, Is that the one oh, you've uh, written in pencil? Yeah, this one's in pencil. Uh, okay, just a couple of injury things. Lucci on the conference call mentioned that uh, I I had reported that I uh, I heard from somebody that Emma Tuomasi had an abductor issue. Lucci said something about having a heart problem on the conference call what? and they were limiting him in training. And I was like, wait, what? And they said, they're not real worried about him, but apparently he's a couple of weeks away from letting him train, which was, I'm like a heart issue. That's crazy. <laughs> so I went back and listened to it twice, made sure that's what he said. I couldn't believe it. So that's why Emma's not been involved other than whatever abductor problem. He didn't, he didn't meant that to somebody else. <laughs> There's a big difference between yeah. abductor and heart. <laughs> issues. Yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> okay. Crazy. So, um, Lucci again doubled down on Paxton. They're being really smart with him and really careful with him. You know, he did get some minutes, but still they're really watching him. Kid gloves. Do not expect Paxton to play in a real game soon. I'm I'm telling you, don't get ready for that. Um, What else? Oh, Thomas Roberts is out of the boot. um, But Lucci says two more weeks, probably at least, which will match up with the, basically the four that to six that I reported, that'll be close to four. So we'll see how in a couple more weeks he'll go. It goes with that. Um, What else do I have? Um, Oh, Lucci talked about on the conference call. Also, he talked about Acosta, um, Brian Acosta having some renewed energy and like a really positive uh, mindset and like that. He's really hungry to redeem himself basically from last year when he was hurt, hurt a lot and was in and out of the lineup for basically half the season. So Lucci was raving about that. So prepare yourself for lots of Brian Acosta early in the season, basically based on what he just said. Um, and I think that's pretty much all my notes. Oh, the, the one other thing is I listened to um, when I was listening to Lucci this week, he specifically mentioned some guys that are unsigned that have been having good camps. So I'm not sure who he means other than like, there's a couple of Academy kids, Benny Redzik and Colin Smith that have been playing with them. Or maybe he means a couple of the draft picks, you know, maybe he means um, Tebow who officially signed with North Texas now, but isn't with FC Dallas, or maybe he means Pickering. I'm not really sure. I don't think he means Waldeck who's the North Texas you know, guy can play center back. I mean, sorry, left back or holding mid. But um, Dallas does have a couple open roster spots, so it would not floor me to see them maybe sign some kid, possibly out of kind of out of nowhere here, like they did Tanner last year. So for him to have mentioned the unsigned players, because he specifically joked that he didn't want to say their name because he didn't want an agent to get fired up and ask for a bunch of money. So it'll be. 
it'll be kind of fun to see like, did he really, was he really hinting around that maybe something's going to happen with one of these kids? So that's something to keep an eye on. Maybe try and figure out who he's talking about. So keep an eye on training going forward. Knock on wood. See who's doing good. Read third degree. So so on a scale of one to 10, uh, you're feeling 10 being most likely that uh, Serge Aguero is going to sign for FC Dallas. Yep. 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 Uh, That's minus minus 10. Busquets. Busquets (laughs) is coming. He's retiring from Busquets. Yeah. Going to come in and play six. Going to back up Edwin. That's what I figure it means. Busquets is going to back up Edwin. (laughs) (laughs) That's another example of a guy that's boring as hell to watch play, but is amazing. Right. So that's, again, that's a Corcoran example of we we haven't, we, we talked a little bit about kit stuff, but the one thing that I, I wanted to comment about was Saturday when we were watching the game down in San Antonio, were you surprised to see them wear the light blue, by the way, it was the debut of the new powder blue jerseys with the Navy shorts but they were wearing red socks and I thought that looked great, but I was surprised to see them wearing red socks. I think it looked awesome. I mean, you know, some of that may have been a response to what San Antonio was wearing. It's possible because San Antonio was in their all black that they felt like the blue was too dark. Mm -hmm. So they went with the red, but the red to me looks, I love when it's broken up like that. The red's better. I mean, go with that. That looks really good. Oh yeah. The powder blue Navy, uh, red is a great combination. I agree. Yeah, Red Sox. Period. You could throw white shorts with that powder blue and the and the Red Sox. That would be lit too. That would be the official Dallas Tornado replica kit. It would be. Yeah. Yeah. That would be phenomenal. That would be. You know, we always talk about how you know they're always talking about how this is a kind of an homage to the tornado, but it yeah. wouldn't. It would be really an homage if they wore it with white shorts and uh, the Red, red Sox. Sox. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Now, and it. also the Academy has been wearing the current red home top with blue shorts and blue socks. I think that looks better because then you get a red to blue gradient kind of a vibe happening. So what that is, looks good too. What have we, has the senior team been wearing red, blue, red? red. Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. So the red, blue, blue was a nice mix. Uh, the Academy will do more varieties than the first team will. And the uh, should, and then just because I know people are expecting me to be cynical and cliche, we then the other part of me just assumes the reason why they wear blue shorts and red socks is because it's the same thing they wear with the home kit and it's cheaper, less yeah. inventory. <laughs> well, so far we haven't necessarily seen um, now that they're now that the white uniform is gone. We don't necessarily know that they even have white stuff anymore because the home yeah. jersey is the red, blue, red, right, and the away is we is that we think that. The, the new blue powder blue and then Navy shorts and socks. So if you're going up against an all black team, you, you don't have any white stuff. Now you're stuck with, with the red socks basically. Mm. So it's like, it'll be interesting this season to watch Dallas when they play teams on the road that have darker uniforms at home. Will they have some lighter version of sock than that blue sock? Because, do we know what they wore today? Uh, I do not, but think about like, if you go to Orlando and Orlando's in all purple, for example, and you're wearing your powder blue and your navy shorts. What socks are you going to wear against that all dark purple look? Oh yeah, well probably even a better one would be DC. If you go to DC, yeah. DC's wearing their essentially all black. Yeah, yeah lots of people wear all black. LSC wears all black. I mean, it'll yeah. be interesting to see what color Dallas wears most often with that powder blue jersey because of that idea that it's supposed to be light-ish, right? In quotes, that light combo. So. I don't. We don't know of any white socks, so this red socks may be the look because all we've ever seen this spring, both uniforms now wear navy shorts. They're slightly yeah, different. That's a good point. So it's going to be that. If you're a kid nerd like us, that stuff's fascinating. So I'm actually a certain part of me is actually really looking forward to seeing how it all plays out. See what they yeah. have, how much they have. 
you know, it's funny, and this is not on the run sheet, and I'm going to bring it up because it's something that happened this week, and it was a shitstorm that I don't think you intended to start, but mm. boy, you did you did stir the, the mud up a lot when you posted uh, some graphics of all of the 2021 MLS kits broken up by, I don't even know how you did, I guess you decided to put one group of white, one group of dark the darkest colors and yeah. then one group of what you would consider to be something other than dark colors well basically i did it last year before they sort of loosened the reins a little bit when it was like everybody was white and then all of a sudden there was a whole bunch of black and navy and there were only like six kits that weren't either super dark or all white and so then i just tweaked those graphics for this year and so there were a couple purples in the black and blue and there's a couple of green and black stripes that are pretty dark, but I put them on the greens kind of prominent. So they kind of went, I mean, you could, you can nitpick whatever and put the green and black on the dark and put the purple on the lot on the colors, whatever you want to do. Bottom line is I just divided up sort of ingredients to kind of show the, the chunks of color in the MLS are not there that basically you're getting a lot of white and a lot of really dark. You know? Well, I, you know, it was funny. The reaction to that was pretty damning. Like everybody was like, oh, Adidas sucks. And, Memo, you know, look at all this, you know, all of the obvious reaction. And I wondered if the way you had displayed it was, I don't know, falsely creating a perception of what it looked like. So I went back and took all the same files and put all the kits together in a single file based per club. And yeah. I think that everything, I think the whole thing looks less generic and uniform when you put it together that way um, and shows that there's probably a lot more variety from club to club or uh, league wide than the way you present it. And again, I'm not criticizing you. I'm just saying, I think it's interesting how that plays when you look at it visually breaking uh, uh, based on different groupings. Oh, for sure. And overall, I want to be clear that it's trending in the right direction. The fact that a whole bunch of teams went away from white. Now they all pick powder blue, but <laughs> <laughs> at least that's more, there's, that's more variety. You know, and Dallas is one of two teams that doesn't have a white or black. Basically they have two colors. The other one is uh, Seattle. Well, Houston has, well, I guess Houston's is black. black and orange. And yep. then Nashville is a Navy blue and yellow. Um, I, I lumped Navy in with black because they're both neutrals and they're both dark. So like Seattle is purple in. and green. Yeah. yeah, purple and green. Uh, let's see. Who else would you say? But like uh, on my colored graphic, there was only two teams. That, only one team that was on that colored graphic that is clearly red and clearly powder blue. Yeah. Like everyone else has either got, got a white or a dark or super dark in their mix. So. Credit to SC Dallas. Rock the, on. The, the kit that I'm really fascinated to see in more detail is the new Colorado Away because I've seen two very clear pictures of it looking very different. One where it looks like a white shirt with green trimming and accents, and the other one is where it has this mint green hue to it as the body, the main fabric with the green accent. And I do think that shirt actually probably looks more green overall in person than it appeared in some of the photographs that they put out. I don't think it's a white shirt is what I'm trying to say. Oh, I, I agree with you. It's like the, the, the multiple images of, of it like on the shop are definitely like a minty. I mean, it's pretty white, but it's definitely call it a green kit. And it's definitely got an overall like almost toothpaste kind of not not as bad as Portugal's jersey, but in that neck of the woods, certainly to it, that sort of limeish white if you want to call it that you know uh, vibe going on there it'll be interesting to see it in person as you say 
Yeah, and the other thing that if you get a chance to go look at the photos, and the best place to go look at these jerseys is at the MLS store because they've got high-definition, high-resolution photos of each of these kits is where we source these, by the way. Yeah. Uh, although in our version, they're small for social media purposes. You really should go look at all these kits in a large resolution because I think so many of these kits at a distance just look like a, but when you get up close to them, they have tons of really interesting detail. Uh, some of the sublimations and and stuff in the fabric is really interesting, and I and it gets missed at di- at distance. But there's some really cool stuff going on some of this uh, some of these shirts uh, that I just think gets panned because of the fact they think everybody's wearing white and black. Yeah, Dan always talks about the details are what matters in the kits, you know, for him, and that that kind yeah. of thing up close is what. You know, most people wear them to talk to somebody. They look and they see it. I, I'm a big picture macro guy because of what I do, which is television. So like for me, what I care about is what it looks like from the top of the stands or on television. And there's a total school of thought that it's like, I care about the details and I'm standing there wearing yeah. it. I, I totally sense. get that. That's just yeah. not my jam. I'm, I'm about, you know, I'm about the, di- the difference between Liverpool and Manchester United is Manchester United wears white shorts and black socks. Yeah. Right. And that's yeah. to me, that's the stuff that matters. Brandon. Yeah. My favorite thing, my favorite comment that I saw online, and I, I apologize to whoever I'm stealing this from and, and not giving credit to because I can't remember who it was. It may have been Dustin Chrisman, uh, which made the comment that they were having a hard time wrapping around their head how they got Adidas to agree. LA Galaxy got Adidas to agree to do a throwback of an old Nike jersey when we can't get uh, Adidas to agree to give DC United a throwback of an old <laughs> adidas jersey from 1996 for for dc united yeah the la galaxy throwback is amazing but the 96 dc jersey is probably the best jersey in the history of major league soccer and they don't yeah, and they went I away agree. from it i can't believe it. it's like there's the sometimes the people that run that once kevin payne left dc united it's like the people up there i don't know what they're doing i'm telling you why it's 100 a uh sponsor position issue the three stripes across mm. the center of the chest created all sorts of problems for putting an ad on it i, could see I that. absolutely think that's the reason why they decided to get away from it because if you look at their logo now the uh Lidios, uh logo how would you integrate that with the three stripes across the chest and have it look right uh you'd have to move it down or something you're probably yeah, yeah you'd you're have right. to put it on the belly or something but you're yeah right. i 100 percent believe that because if you add the three stripes on either side of it or around it or embed it you then make it look like you're adding the stripes as part of the the sponsor's yeah. logo and they don't want that well i was thinking of the old fire look or the book of juniors look but that's a solid bar and that, right. I mean, that's another club that ruined their their brand was the Chicago Fire. They had a clear Boca Juniors style brand that was significant and different, and they wrecked it. Yeah. Well, you know what should happen? Adidas should sponsor DC United yeah, there you go. because we all have to realize back in the day, those jerseys, those three stripes was nothing more than an advertisement for Adidas. Yeah. That was a yeah. sponsor logo for Adidas in that format. And it would be cool if, in fact, if somehow they could work that out, put those back on there, and that essentially becomes an, uh, a sponsor ad for Adidas. That's yeah. the solution. That'd be perfect. That'd be I love when I solve the world's problems, Buzz. Perfect. Like, like your master grid for the next year's uh, schedule that you did. Uh, my manifesto for yeah. the account. Yeah. For the uh, FIFA world calendar. Yes. Uh, yeah, that was good. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I think we've covered it all. Yeah. Pretty good. By the way, shout out to Vancouver for keeping the best uh, home Jersey in the business going. The, the white with the red numbers and the blue bar and the red numbers on the back. Yep. Kept that going. Good. That, good on you, Vancouver. Bad on you, Montreal be- with the, with the snowflake. <laughs> oh, the worst brand and rebound ever. <laughs>
<laughs> I mean, it's, it's so bad. It's the worst. See, I don't hate it as much as oh you do. Oh my god, it's so bad. But then you ruined it for everybody when you yeah. called it a robot's anus. It's a giant anus, which was already it. saved for the Atlanta Stadium. But whatever. Yeah, it's Same not a banjo kit. At least I give you that. Uh, don't forget, everybody, you can go find all of your favorite jerseys, even the ones with a robot anus on them, at Third Degree. As Third Degree, the podcast is brought to you by Soccer90. Shop Soccer90.com for all of those shirts from FC Dallas, from all over MLS and international club gear and U.S. soccer gear. New in the shop are Adidas shin guards in both youth and adult sizes because we all need to be protected from getting kicked in the shin. And don't forget, Third Degree listeners receive 25% off when they use the promo code third degree at checkout by the way i haven't done this in a few weeks i just want to reiterate how much i appreciate pappy check for writing this kick-ass theme song that's probably playing behind me as we exit the podcast yeah thanks pappy check best theme song in the business thanks buzz appreciate all the insight and information we will speak to you next week fc dallas curious listener at third degree the podcast dan crook he's missing third degree the third degree net podcast. Third degree, the third degree net podcast. Third degree, the third degree net podcast. Third degree, the third degree net podcast.